Welcome to the Farcast here at Shadron State College. I'm Daniel Binkert with my co-host Alex Helmbrecht, and we're starting the third and final round of our Dean Interview Series with Wendy Waugh, the wonderful Wendy Waugh, who's our Dean of Graduate Studies and the School of Business, Mathematics, and Science. So, Wendy, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. As the the weather heats up here on the Dean's Green. (laughs) Yeah, pretty normal. It's overcast all morning, and then every time we have these interviews, the sun pops out. But it's not, not super hot yet. I think this might be... Do I cross my fingers and uh, tempt fate and say this is going to be the last really hot day of the year? No. We've probably got a few more. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, Wendy, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, where did you grow up, uh, go to college, all that fun stuff? Sure. Uh, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, spent most of my younger childhood there. Uh, lived in Gretna for a few years during what we used to call middle school, and uh, then uh, went to Donovan, Nebraska for high school, which is tucked between Grand Island and um, Hastings, and then I went to college at Wayne State, so I'm uh, also a state college uh, graduate, and uh, I've lived in Nebraska my whole life, and I lived in Kearney for a while before I moved here, and... uh, until you got to the the best part of Nebraska, right? No question, <laughs> absolutely. So, so you you have a, a kind of a long career at CSC, and there's been kind of several different roles. Talk a little bit about some of the jobs you've had here. Wow. Well, in 1992, when I moved here, I was just finishing a master's degree at what was uh, just then UNK. So when I worked at UNK before I came here, that was the first year that they changed from Kearney State. And I was, uh, took on a job as a housing, um, I guess they would call it like the director, and, and I was in Kent Hall, and it was an all-male dorm, and my husband then was a state trooper, so we had a state trooper car, which made my job super easy, <laughs> like parked right in front of the dorm. So I spent a year doing that to finish my master's degree, and then I had an interesting decision to make after that. So at the time, Student Services was trying to um, get me to be interested in student activities because that's what I did at UNK. And I really wanted to teach because I had a secondary business teaching background. So Merlin Granberg was the VPA at the time, and I just expressed I really wanted to teach. So I took a one-year appointment rather than a permanent position because that's where my heart was. And I'll never forget in my evaluation, he said very kind things about how brave I was to make that decision. So that was a turning point. So I did four one-year appointments in the Department of uh, Business, which is now the Business Academy. And then that ended when those uh, faculty came back and I worked in uh, computer services as a senior programmer analyst uh, under Ann Burke for about a year and a half until there was a tenure track opening. And I applied, and um, that's kind of how I progressed. I progressed through the ranks from assistant all the way to full professor. So you're you're one of those um, instances where you, you've kind of been on every side of the house at, here at CSC. <laughs> I haven't, to be honest. That's part of why I accepted the department chair position and really why I accepted the interim position, because I felt like I had enough background to maybe be a part of those larger conversations. And that was really the value I thought maybe I could bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that institutional knowledge is always really important. Absolutely. And I'm a really positive person, so I see most of those experiences as very positive, um, whether they, you know, whether I learned from them or whether I grew from them. So. 
So you um, have been an interim dean recently and now the full-on official dean. Uh, Give us a sense of what's a day like in that office. Wow, it's very different than teaching. I would say it's very people-centered. Most of what I do every day is about people. And a lot of the, if I deal with issues, a lot of those are HR-related issues. And I think I have... um, with my business background, I taught the HR courses. I have some background in how to address those issues very positively and in constructive ways to make a difference. I think uh, my day can be so different from start to finish that that's part of the appeal. I, as you can imagine, attend a lot of meetings. Uh, one day I can remember I attended a meeting in Sandoz and we were looking through the new, I'm the building manager of Sandoz as well, we were looking through the new exhibits. From there I went to a meeting about retention and then I had a student who had some concerns about a class and then I had an issue in the cadaver lab <laughs> with a, one of the bodies so um, with the uh, science faculty under me. So my day could just be anything and that's part of the appeal for me is I never know what's going to be next um, and I just try to stay open and ready to to listen and try to figure out the best uh, way forward. Yeah, I, I, it's really similar to our roles in college relations. It, no one day is, is similar to the to another one that you've had. And, and I, I think that you can kind of find comfort in that, knowing that, yeah, some spontaneous things might happen, but you've probably dealt with them before in some different way. And, and so I think it's really helpful. I think so, too. I think that's a great analogy for that. And, yeah, I just think that you have to approach the day positive. I also had to learn at the end of the day, because as faculty, you're just 24 hours always thinking, checking email, answering, uh, grading. There never really is a stopping point. I feel like with this position, in order to thrive, you have to at some point say, that's what I can do today, walk away, and then come back ready to roll the next day. So I find that that's a big difference between the two positions. Yeah, that's good advice. So um, we're kind of, we're obviously in the midst of a, of a global pandemic, and, and it certainly has affected uh, our communities, our students, and, and everyone who works here, and, and obviously the college. But in your opinion, how have faculty and students responded to the changes? As, as well as I could have imagined and better than I expected. I feel like I haven't had any issues. We spent quite a bit of time before school started, and by we, I mean administrators. What were we going to do with that student who inevitably was going to come and into class and go, I'm not wearing a mask? And that has not happened, and we just mentioned that in a meeting. None of the three deans have experienced that. I think they're here, they want to be here, and they know that's what it takes. They may have... Um, been connected to some friends who were quarantined, whether they were positive or not, or waiting for results, and that didn't really look that pleasant to them to be away from everyone for 14 days. So I've not seen, I've walked my halls in Burkheiser a lot because we have a lot of new faculty there because of the math and science building renovation, but all the students are wearing masks, even when they're sitting around tables, when they're walking to and from classes. The faculty have been great. They're meeting students in their offices. They're meeting them in larger spaces. They're really adapting well. And I think our numbers show it. We're, we're doing something right. And I've not had a single issue related to um, being safe, wearing a mask, 
Campus Clear, all those things that we're asking students to do. So I'm pleasantly surprised, and I think our numbers show it. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear. Uh, Wendy, one of the things I, I, I've been finding really nice to see uh, both here and, and uh, elsewhere in, in the country is women in leadership positions. I understand that's an interest of yours. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. Well, my uh, PhD is actually in management and uh, with a specialization in IT management. But one of the things that's very apparent is there really aren't very many women statistically in leadership roles, at least not top leadership roles. And I would say, um, I think the last statistic I saw was 5% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women, and only 7% of the top executives for those companies. But I think it's really important to have women in leadership, and I think it's important, especially on a college campus, to see women in leadership positions, and there are a number of us. And women are just fundamentally different types of leaders, I think, and I don't want to speak in absolutes, but generally speaking... Women are very transformational leaders, more coach, mentor, inspire. How can I make you be the best you can be? How can I help you um, move up in your position and your skills? And I think that generally speaking, men are often very transactional and very cut and dry, black and white. And that's important, too, because things have to get done. But I think it's been really neat even just among the Dean's Council to have a woman uh, perspective. A few times I've said, did you see the way they crossed their arms or the way they were leaning back? I think they're really not in favor of this. And they'll be like, what? <laughs> so um, not that they don't pick up on those cues as well. But sometimes I sort of, uh, I, I hope at least that I bring a little bit different flavor to um administration. And I want young women to see that women can be good leaders and have full lives outside of that. So that's part of my interest. Now, now you've also researched critical thinking, high impact practices, learner-centered environments, uh, amongst many other things, like you mentioned. But talk a little bit of how you've, how you incorporated those things into to your classrooms when you were a professor here. And then how are you incorporating those into your profession now? Excellent question. Well, because I came up through secondary education training, my passion and research has been less about business issues and more about how to teach well. And so most of my research and background has been in that area, methods, methodologies, and critical thinking is important. So I'll tell you how I got started with that. I was in a department, uh, maybe it was a school meeting, and the big push was our mission is to create critical thinkers. And I walked back and I talked to my colleague, Barb Limbach at the time, and I said, how do we know we're doing that? Like, how do you know if you're creating critical thinkers? Do you just go, I'm a great teacher. I think they're thinking critically. Um, so we did quite a bit of research and we worked together uh, most of our career on this. And we basically found that it's pretty easy to be intentional about creating critical thinkers. And what you have to do is be intentional about the way you ask a question, the way you post something. So, for example, if I say, what are the 50 states or what are the, the elements of a, a spreadsheet, that's just total recall. That's not critical thinking. But that's important because if you don't understand the basics, you can't think critically about it. So I'm not discounting. We have to ask those. But you have to intentionally go the next step and offer questions that cause them to compare and contrast 
or um, I mean, I have a list of verbs. And if you're in those verb categories, apply, you know, then you're very often in critical thinking. So it's not that difficult. You just, uh, we made a whole career out of teaching people that here, for example, use Bloom's taxonomy in the top three. If you're using any of these methods, you're causing them to think critically about something. So that spilled over a lot into even the syllabi. So upper division courses should show objectives that are higher level, and then the lower division courses should be lower level. So it's all about what can I do to create an active learning environment where I'm intentionally making you stop and think about. So that's the great thing about college, right? We're not just feeding you the information anymore. We're asking you to decide for yourself. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is there another way to think? I always said in my classes that I don't discount your personal opinion, but it's the lowest form of knowledge because it requires no accountability at all. So what, are, what do others think? What do, too often we focus on things that match our, our opinions. And in education, we're supposed to be looking at all of the information and then making a judgment based on that. So that's really how I used it in my teaching career. In terms of my job as a dean, I would say it's probably most often used in mentoring, especially young faculty. I've, uh, my first year, I went into the classrooms and watched every first and second year faculty teach, because that's about all the time that I had before evaluations came around. And I was able to offer quite a bit of useful, I think, suggestions or advice or really honor what they were doing in terms of critical thinking. So I think it really helped me to understand and to provide opportunities for growth for new faculty. I also, this year we hired a new faculty in our school who had read some of what I had written. And I think that's great. And I'm sure it was to prepare for the interview, so way to go. But also it's created a lot of great conversations about what she could do. And I've had a number of faculty pop in and go, I tried this activity, didn't work, what do you think? So I think it's created a great conversation uh, um, between myself and the faculty. Well, it certainly sounds like that. I, I think one of the best things about critical thinking is just how intentional it can be. And then once you kind of have that, like you said, you have that foundation built, you can really go anywhere with the way that you think. Absolutely. And that's what we need more of in the world, right, is people to look at issues holistically and not from just their own personal experiences or views. It's time to look at what other people say. So is the way you're thinking, the, you know, in line with that? Is it supported? Is it not supported? Is there, are there other options you mm -hmm. haven't thought of? Yeah. So. Confirmation bias is not a good oh, thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, Wendy, we've got an exciting piece of construction on campus, <laughs> or at least it's going to be soon because we're not really seeing anything on the outside of our <laughs> math science building, but uh, it's coming quickly. Uh, what's, what's the atmosphere like in, in your school and for you personally as, as this project is finally going to happen? Well, it's complete excitement and a lot of uh, planning and meetings, and there's a lot that has been done, but a lot that still needs to be done. So one of the first conversations I had after being appointed to the interim dean position was with our president, and he said, oh, are you excited? You're on the, the committee to build this building, and I was like... Oh, excited and very, I don't even know what it takes. So I've learned so much about construction and meeting and plans. 
the biggest task for us has been moving faculty around, but they are so willing and so excited about this building that they're moving into small offices, they're sharing tiny spaces, they're making it happen, and they're doing a great job. Uh, students are really happy with the way we've been able to continue with that. The building doesn't look like there's much action. There's some red cones sitting out front. There's, I believe, some abatement and some prep work going on inside. And I think it won't be long and those cones will be replaced by some big equipment and then the excitement will really build. I think the groundbreaking was wonderful and it was a great way to um, renew interest in the project until we can see it happening. But it's going to be an amazing facility and I know science has uh, worked hard to try to um, get themselves ready, work on equipment and all sorts of great things. So. Yeah, Daniel worked on a, on a video, I believe, with the foundation that has a bunch of Conceptual drawings isn't the right term. It's kind of like a 3D tour. Right, a 3D rendering. They did a, a video walkthrough of the rendering. And j just seeing that as um, a possibility for what this place is going to look like, it's, it's really exciting. Because I always, you know, math and science for me was a very functional place, but it wasn't necessarily a pretty place. And I think this is going to go a long way. Not that that really means anything if you're learning learning the science, but... It sure doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it kind of ties into with what one of your passions is with that learner-centered environment. I, I lost count, but there is at least five or six places in that, at least in the renderings, that where students can congregate and, and discuss whatever they're learning or, or anything like that. And I, there's not that many spaces a lot of our buildings are more functional rather than kind of aspirational. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I, that's really exciting. It kind of reminded me of the Klein Center, which is a, a building near and dear to, to me and Daniel. Our first office uh, when we were professionals was in that building, but it's now unfortunately a parking lot. But yes. um, <laughs> I remember when I was here as in the housing, I remember yeah, eating there. <laughs> ton, tons of windows and open spaces and chairs. And yeah, it's just, it looks like a great facility. I definitely think it, it'll be inspirational to uh, other spaces. And I think uh, students congregating is really in line with learning of the future and uh, consensus and working together. And I think it'll work great in that building, and there's just uh, so many opportunities. It, I think it really will be a very, very nice uh, role model for what other buildings can become. Excellent. Now, speaking of construction projects, we've heard that you're a fan of do-it-yourself projects, maybe not on the scale of, of the math, science, renovation, and construction, uh, but, but what's your home renovation process like, and, and what are some of the projects you've tackled? Well, I, do, I like the DIY, and I, I suspect that comes from not being very good at asking for help, but <laughs> I you know, own a house, and I like to make improvements, and I'm always thinking, um, what can I do next? My process is very academic, as you might suspect. I would, for example, probably the biggest project I've tackled is to replace all the carpets on my main floor of my house with um, flooring, with wood flooring. And so I watched maybe a hundred videos about how to do it. I asked anybody who had listed if they thought I could do it. Have you ever done it? What was it like? What did you, you know? And when I was sufficiently confident that I could do it, 
I marked out my spring break and I purchased all of the tools. I probably learned to like my chop saw more than any woman really should. But it's one of my favorite things in the world. And I just started and it was a great process because I learned patience. I learned sometimes I, I you know, this looks great and I'm going to walk away for a little bit. So I gave myself enough time to really learn and enjoy the process. And I think it was, uh, it turned out pretty good, but. Yeah. It's always kind of fun and then frustrating at the same time yes. when, when oh, you yeah. do that because <laughs> you're like, oh, well there was water damage here at some point in time. I guess I need to fix this. Yes. Yeah. I, you, I was walking around my floor, uh, jumping up and down, listening for squeaks and then drilling screws into the floor to try to get rid of the squeaks before I started. So there was, there was a lot of learning and I later did both my daughter's rooms and, uh, I I just got a little bit better each time. <laughs> so. That's great. Yeah, Satisfaction that's... at the end? Yeah. yeah. All right. That's good. Well, what else do you like to do in your free time? Well, I don't have a ton of free time. <laughs> in but... those five minutes a week? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have dogs. My dogs are older, and um, I, I like having animals around. My daughters are probably the center of all my free time. They are both in college. One graduated... Last year, unfortunately, amidst a pandemic, she graduated from Old Dominion University in three years and was unable to have a graduation. And my other daughter goes to South Carolina to uh, College of Charleston in downtown Charleston and loves it. She's just a sophomore, but also suffering some of the effects of the pandemic being kind of closed in her apartment because they started online. So I spend a lot of time, my daughter, my oldest daughter is now back home and is a GA here on campus. And so it's been great having her. So we've been uh, doing things together quite a bit. We cook, we've been uh, trying to work out together in the evenings and just uh, really enjoying time because the last three years she's been gone quite a bit. So most of my free time is uh, involved with my girls. Well, that's a good way to spend it. Okay, so we've reached the portion of the podcast where we just ask quick-hitting questions. So uh, the first thing that kind of pops into your head. So (laughs) the first one is, a favorite movie of yours? Oh, that's difficult. Um, And I didn't get a chance to look at all of these questions. But I like comedies, and I like to laugh and uh, sort of relax. There haven't been a lot of new movies released lately. But um, I suppose the rom-coms and those types of movies are are the ones I would gravitate to. I don't know if I'd say I had a favorite, but I love that genre, and I love to just not think too seriously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what's one of your hidden talents? <laughs> wow, I don't I don't see myself as being all that talented, <laughs> but um, I don't sing, or I was. Uh, uh, this might surprise you, but I was a uh, captain of the dance team at Wayne State when we were the Aristocats back then. So <laughs> I wouldn't say I was a talented dancer, but it was a lot of fun. And we owned the halftimes of every single basketball game, and it was a very regimented kind of thing. So I think that might surprise people to hear <laughs> that I did that. I don't know if I would call it a talent. but What a great name, the Aristocats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Are they still in uh, operation, I'm I wonder? I'm not sure if they are or not, but... 
but uh, it was a big deal back then. There were also some cheerleaders, but it wasn't. There weren't many. That was where people gravitated at that time. Now they need to have like an alumni function or something. You can perform at a <laughs> halftime show, <laughs> yes. maybe. Yes. <laughs> Wendy, what's the best advice you received as a college student? Well, I think one of the hardest things in transitioning as a college student is that learning is different and. Often in high school, we focus so much on grades. I'd like to see students, and my advisor was good about this with me, focus on learning. What are you taking away from the class? And I always would share with my students, it's very often more what you learn than the grade at the end. Because really, unless you're going to professional school, it's really more about, um, less about your GPA when you walk down, um, when you walk out of this place. And so what are you actually learning? So I always challenge my students to think about how you can use this information, not just memorize it. I don't care about that, but how can you use this in your life? And often much of what we learn in college translates to our everyday existence. So, yeah. A favorite book or author? Well, since I started this position, I've read a lot of books about leadership, you can imagine. And... You also might remember Dr. Charles Snare was an avid reader, and he was my uh, supervisor when I started as interim. And so I walked out of his office uh, after the first meeting with a stack of books. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> and so um, and that was my reading uh, assignment. And so the one, it's probably the most recent book I've read, which is why I'll mention it, but um, it's one I really liked, and it was called The College Administrator's Survival Guide. And it had so many great things in it. The rest were very poignant about certain things. But I really liked this one because a lot of what I learned in business and in management translated to working in higher ed. But it's, it's a different environment than a commercial corporate business. So in that book, it talked about the first thing you have to do is understand your budgets. And the next thing you have to do is know your people and know where your strengths are. And it talked all about everything that I have faced so far. So I took a lot of notes when I went through that book. And I still go back and go, uh, what do I do when I... And I remember certain lessons, like I remember never speak ill of the person who had the position before you, which I don't anyway, because um, uh, I thought he was, a, he was a very good dean. But I think about um, things were different when the person before you made their decisions. And even though I might make different decisions or approach things differently, it's largely because my circumstances are different. So I learned a lot of great lessons. So that's probably most recently been the most useful. Yeah, it sounds uh, like a good one. Uh, and finally, Wendy, the last question. What is uh, one word that comes to your mind when you think of Shadron State College? I, I did read this question. I did think about it a little bit. And the first thing I thought was that cue of uh, building futures. And I always, that's been my favorite since I've been here. Building futures every day to me is why I walked on this campus. But I also, if I have to think of one word, I would think support. And we're all here. We're all in it together. There's always somebody who's going through it or who's ready to listen or to talk. I just feel like we're in a community. When I stood at that moment of silence um, last week for our student, Mike Lydie said, we're family here and we adopt you as our children. And I thought, that's it. That, that's what we do here. We, we know each other. We connect to each other. That's why our students want to be back. That's why they're being so great about 
masks and distancing and washing their hands and all the things we've asked them to do. So that to me is the value, especially growing up in Omaha. It's a, it's just a different a way of life and existing as an organization, and I really love it. Well, it's a, it's a special place, that's for sure. Well, thank you, Wendy. We really appreciate you taking the time today. We know you have a busy schedule. We scheduled this originally for an hour, so maybe you have some more time to <laughs> go watch a rom-com or something like that. But, but uh, we certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to visit with you.